What are the key identity and access management challenges facing healthcare entities these days, and how are organizations tackling them? I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Chris Yule, CISO of the Seattle Children's Hospital. Chris will be discussing with us some of the identity and access management challenges that his organization is facing and how he's addressing those challenges. So, Chris, what are the biggest identity and access management challenges that you're facing these days? I think the one of the largest ones that we're looking at is how to utilize cloud services, and which entails the sharing of data with multiple entities, you know, across multiple organizations. Uh, and how do we do that, both from a security perspective and an ease of use perspective? And sometimes those two things don't always meet. So with that said, how are you going to tackle those challenges? So one of the things we're looking at right now is using some third-party two-factor authentication for that identity part of the system access and ensuring that the solutions that is, in fact, selected for the institution will work with multiple products. And that's one of the large challenges that we have is that it needs to work with both our internal products as well as external access. And this is a problem that that I think people are trying to tackle for years, and that's how do you do some type of federated uh, authentication and access management system that is easy to work with and easy for the users to end up using while it actually still protects your data. So we've worked with one vendor. We're actually doing some pilots right now to address this and figure out, will it actually work with both our internal systems as well as the external system and cloud and other cloud providers be able to use that and actually authenticate to those systems and then get access to the appropriate systems and data. So what's particularly tricky about the cloud? The difficulty with the cloud is, again, that federated management system. How do you ensure that you identify the users and you still maintain control of that? And then in the event of a breach or any type of incident, you can easily turn off the system and revert back into what you've done before. Now, that may entail actually terminating some of the rights of the external users, but in the event of a breach or some type of major incident, you do have to factor that in. And that's the difficulty with the cloud, because if you go to the cloud provider of, of handling all your identity access management, you essentially have to synchronize all of your, if you're using Active Directory or any other type of federated access management system, you have to you know, ensure that trust to them saying, here's all our identity, here's all our users, our passwords, now protect that data and then use that to authenticate both back to us and then to other cloud services. Uh, and that's a difficult task to complete while at the same time making it easy. So in our case, our providers that may be in very small practices, maybe it's one or two physician practices on up to maybe uh, you know 50 to 100 physician practice, that each one of them can, can actually log in uh, and access the data they need to do of our system and do that easily from their offices. That's a challenge of making that all work. So now you mentioned multi-factor authentication. What sort of multi-factor authentication? And do you get much pushback from clinicians saying that the multi-factor is too hard to use or they can't use it quick enough to get into systems when they need them? Absolutely. As far as the pushback, 
and using a token or something like that that's not tied to something they normally would use, that's a problem. Because, again, if you look at providers, often they are providing service for multiple hospitals. So imagine now have to carry RSA tokens or Jamalto keys or any type of the token-based mechanism. It has to carry multiple of those keys around with them all the time and figure out which one to use for which system. That's not practical. I think the use of mobile devices, the iPhones, the Androids, the Microsoft devices uh, that are out there is probably a good key to that. But then once you go to that, you have to be able to terminate those applications, and, of course, we don't control it. So that becomes that challenge. How do you get enough so you can terminate their access uh, if they lose their phone and don't have good uh, protection measures on their phone to protect that particular application? But the key of all this is going to be, you know, using something the provider or the clinicians have and they carry with them all the time, which is the mobile device. And I think that's going to be the key to, to making this work in the future. How about biometrics or any other sort of emerging authentication technologies? Do you think they look promising for healthcare, or are they playing a role at your organization at this point at all? For biometrics, not currently. It's not playing a role at children. The difficulty people have been, you know, certainly if you look at iris scans or eye scans, generally people don't want to do that. You look at fingerprint readers and you get in the problem with the very low-end readers are easily subverted and the higher-end readers are very expensive, the FIPS-compliant fingerprint readers, and then maintaining, again, that digital identity and protecting that digital identity becomes an issue. So... Other than data centers or something where you have some hand geometry that's easy to get in there, it's not practical on the medical side to do that. And again, if you have those situations where you require biometrics or something, you have to be able to turn that off for certain environments, surgery, sterile environment, where you have people are wearing gloves or protective gear, uh, it makes it very difficult for biometrics to work in those type of environments. When it comes to protecting the ID and managing access of privileged users and people like systems administrators and others, any special steps you're taking in that area? Well, I think in root access, administrator access, we can, in fact, require higher levels of authentication. Typically, are going to be our own individuals, our own employees, our own workforce. And at that point, yes, we have requirements where everything has to be done through one particular box, a jump box, uh, that they have to log into the, as far as the management console, use two-factor authentication, and then get access to the systems. Again, there's no direct access to anything, and all that's controlled very tightly. I think for all of those, absolutely, you have to have a higher level of control and put those in place. And again, they're your own workforce, so typically that's not an issue for them. And they understand the importance of having access only to the devices they need access to uh, and providing that level of service and logging that level of service that is provided. As a children's hospital, are there any special challenges that you face with access and ID management? For instance, do you allow parents and guardians access to patient data? And if so, how? Yes. On the pediatric space, once you go from a provider status or a workforce member status that has a need to know and a need to access a business reason to access that PHI and you go to a parent or family guardians or the actual patient themselves, there are many additional challenges. 
depending on the type of data, whether you have reproductive health data, whether you have psychosocial data, or you have chemical dependency, substance abuse type of data, those are all additional requirements, both federal and state requirements, that you have to be able to protect that level of data. And that makes it very difficult to display, you know, certain elements in a patient portal or any other type of patient access to their own information. If you look at also all the blended families that are out there, dealing with court orders, dealing with social workers, the foster families, and the court systems of who can actually access the records and keeping up with that and ensuring that the patient portal addresses those elements is also very challenging for pediatrics. Uh, typically, it's going to be a very limited data set that gets put into a patient portal. Uh, as we get into adolescent medicine, you add another complexity. In fact, this is something we're dealing with right now as you deal with adolescents that are in for weight management, so eating disorders. Actually displaying their weight to those individuals can actually be detrimental to their health, and especially if they're underweight and they, they have anorexia or any other type of eating disorder and they see that weight saying, well, you know, I gained a half an ounce, therefore I have to not eat for the next couple of days. Uh, those are real issues that happen that you have to deal with in the pediatric adolescent medicine you know, type of atmosphere that the general patient portals, especially the adult patient portals, don't have to deal with as much in those type of situations. So it makes it very difficult of what data we can actually display to the parents as well as the patient. You mentioned mobile devices earlier, smartphones, et cetera. Are there any particular emerging privacy and security challenges that you're facing as consumer wearable health devices and mobile health apps become popular? I think with the the mobile device, we're just really understanding what impact that's going to have. So I think we have a lot of things to learn about wearables, uh, about devices that we don't own and control, how do we ensure that the proper protection mechanisms are on those devices to protect that in the case the device is lost or stolen? Because that typically what's going to happen, mobile devices are, you know, they're easy to lose. Um, or they get traded in. So all those types of situations where you don't control 100% of that device, that becomes an issue for what data actually is left on that device. And then are you responsible for that data if it gets breached in the event that it gets lost or stolen? So, yes, that is a, a very big issue. We don't have a great set of controls for that type of technology yet. We're working with the vendors. We really work as we understand the new technologies coming into place for healthcare. How do we help protect this mechanism? The other side of it is what kind of impact does it have on your network with all these devices wanting to connect to the wireless network, uh, and what kind of tools can we put in place to scan to understand what's on the network without negatively impacting those particular devices. That becomes a whole other avenue of you know potentially turning off a device by doing some set of scanning or a set of uh, controls that you try to enforce on those particular devices. Those are all issues that we're going to have to resolve for the next few years. Talking about devices, what about medical devices? Are there any best practices or tips on how your organization deals with ID and access management when you're talking about medical devices on your network? 
So we don't have any individual logging in to the medical devices. We have medical devices that are, that are interconnected on the network, like IV pumps and those type of things, uh, but there's no identity to it as far as an individual. It's just a device identity. Uh, I think as we have more and more devices that are going home with patients, that they're actually doing things on those devices, uh, it's an area that we're going to have to deal with, but we, are, we, have, we don't have those type of devices today. When it comes to medical device cybersecurity, what are the biggest challenges right now that you're facing? The biggest challenges are the vendors. For them to realize that FDA is very clear on applying patches and other security mechanisms does not require, you know, reauthentication into the system. That's expected of all those medical devices that you are keeping them up to date. Working with the vendors that we have, that is an area that is months, sometimes to many months to a year to get those type of patches, install those devices to keep them current. That's a problem. We have to turn those months down into days and, if we have to, weeks time period. And that's going to take some time to keep working with the vendors saying they need to refocus and ensure that these devices are, in fact, up to date. And as they interact with all the other systems that they need to, they aren't negatively impacted by those particular updates. And that's a tall challenge for them to do as, as you start distributing all these devices across the United States to all those multiple hospitals and providers. But how do you create that network to keep those things up to date? Thanks, Chris. I've been speaking to Chris Yule. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.